pot party. The trippers, the grasshoppers, the hip ones, all gathered in secrecy and flying high as a kite. Hello and welcome to Trippin' Through Time, the podcast where we talk about the science, culture, and history behind psychoactive drugs. This is episode 11. 11. 11. And it's uh, what we would, uh, we know we have uh, Chemistry Corner, right? And alliteration, Randall's (laughs) Chemistry Corner, we gotta give Stuart something. Uh And uh, Stuart, you wanna go ahead and say what it is? No, you can say it. All right. (laughs) (laughs) This is uh, Stuart's History Hole. Uh, nice alliteration there. So we're going to do a deep dive into uh, Stuart's history hole. Get right in there uh, and explore it. Explore some history. But first, our weekly segment. Mm-hmm. I'd like to talk about our, our drinks. And this week sure. I have a very special one. Oh, okay. It is from 5440 Brewing, mm. who my lovely girlfriend Sophie works at. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. is their crushed... I heard it's the best brewery in the world. Did you hear it that? is the best brewery yeah. in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's the Crushed Velvet IPA. Wow, it even looks fancy. It does. It's got a cool can. Kind of old school. And it's, what is it, Sophie? It's made with... Crushed Velvet? Rolled oats. It's made with rolled oats. Oh, so this is what the Quakers used to drink. (laughs) Yes. I think the oats, they give it that smooth flavor, Sophie. Is that right? She's nodding. Mm, Smooth? So it's got kind of a nice smooth here. You give it a sip. You've already... I've had several. Oh, okay. Not today. I'm going to try it. I've had several. <laughs> I'm drunk as shit. <laughs> Smells good. Wow. That's a pretty good beer. It's not bad. Wow, that's one of the... Um, wow. I oh, drink yeah. I drink that. It's that IPA, but then it's got this smooth, velvety mouthfeel. Yeah, I mean, right now, I, I think that's one of my top, like... If you had to drink a beer, drink it. Yeah. I'd drink this, especially since it's 7.4, so yeah. I'd get some bu- bang for my buck. <laughs> yeah. For sure. That's that's a big boy. Yeah. Wow. How about you? I am drinking, let's see here. It's a Mission Trail, Monterey Country. County? County, sorry. Like California? California, yeah. Uh, it's the Santa Lu- Lu- Lucia? Santa Lucia Black. And it is a, a plum cot jerkum. Yeah, a plum cot jerkum. Uh, plum cot or pluot? Uh, no, plum cot. Oh. There are pluots, so this is a plum oh. cot. I wonder if that's like a hybrid. I think it's apricot and a plum. Or is it a pluot and an apricot? What? What is a Oh, no, it's plu- definitely a plum and an apricot. Yeah, what's a pluot? A pluot is a thing. Is a plum and a what? I think a, a pluot is its own thing. Mm. Anyways, it's plum cot and black currant, and a lot of ciders try to pull the... Uh, cranberry card um i've never had anybody do cranberry well uh this is very tart delicious it's it's a cranberry uh and it's pretty good um it is kind of spendy but what's up pluot Stuart? a pluot is also known as a plum cot oh so they're interchangeable yeah and it's a hybrid between different prunas which i think are plums Uh uh-huh uh, that's all it says. Have you had a, had or had a, like a real plum off a plum tree? I have. The, we used to have one in our backyard. Ones. An Italian plum. Oh, the Italians. That's they're yeah. so good. They're delicious. So I miss good. that tree. Yeah. I eat it till I uh, couldn't eat it. Yeah, they're very good. Okay, shall we dive into my hole? Let's get in there real deep. Let's get in that hole. History hole. Can we say that? Yeah, it's Stuart's history hole. Okay. Okay, today we are going to talk about the opium trade in China. Mm, okay. And first. I want to 
conjure everyone's imaginations. Okay. What what they think of when you think of like an opium mm. an opium den. I think of walking into this smoky almost almost what what I would think is the equivalent like the first nineteen twenty cool jazz bar. Yeah. But it's the first one. <laughs> And exactly. it's smoky. There's yeah. pillows everywhere. No chairs. No chairs. Everybody's lounging yeah. about. Yeah. And they've got these big opium pipes. Uh-huh. And some people are passed out. Mm-hmm. And it's just you can't even see in there. Mm-hmm. And, and it's dark. dark. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So you just read my notes, basically. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. That's exactly what I said. I said it's this dark, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. dark thing. Make um, a lot. I can't eye contact over there. I know, because she read my notes and she said that's not what she thought. Well, of. really? Okay. Yeah, so I'm, glad, I'm glad you're on okay. board. Uh, and a lot of people, see, not in a racist way, think of Chinese because opium is kind of synonymous with the Chinese culture. Yeah, I mean, I picture a lot of like Chinese wear. Mm-hmm. When I think about it, I think of robes. Yeah. Yeah. I used to read this. Um, like comic with, called Tintin. Have you oh, heard of I've it? heard of Tintin. My dad and I used to read it, and it, it was like I feel like the 30s or 40s. And looking back, it's horribly racist. But really? they had like they made a movie. Yeah, I watched yeah. the movie. Was yeah. it also horribly racist? No, it no, came no. Out in like 2011. Was, <laughs> yeah. But it was like they had the Chinese opium dens, and it was like the stereotypical Chinese people with like the braid mm-hmm. thing and They're probably big teeth. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It was yeah. Disney, um, like old Looney Tunes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that is some crazy stuff. Yeah. Anyway, um, however, opium was not originated in China. Okay. And we're gonna get into that. So before we do, I want to talk a little bit about opium in China mm-hmm. specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first records of opium in China were from the seventh century, and they Can you show give me what what um, like is that like six hundred exactly right? yeah. Okay. And they show opium being used for medicinal purposes, but not narcotic. Okay. And it wasn't until the 17th century that the practice of smoking opium as a narcotic was first recorded. Mm -hmm. And it was first mixed with tobacco. And they said that was really nice. You smoke this tobacco. I wonder if you can hear that motorcycle. I wonder. Tobacco opium thing. Um, Sounds nice. In the 19th century, China became addicted to opium. Mm -hmm. But how did all this happen, Randall? Well... So I hope that's what you're going to get into. <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about it. <laughs> oh, no. I guess that's the end of the podcast, guys. All right. So first, we're going to back up, and we're just going to talk about the Chinese and British trade. Uh-huh. So mm-hmm. since the times of the Silk Road, mm-hmm. uh, people have been trading stuff with China. China's goods have been moving west into Europe, into the Middle East. Do you know why they called it the Silk Road? Because that's what they traded? A lot silk of silk. Of it exactly. Exactly. Or, uh, initially. And China had a lot of very valuable products, such as mm-hmm. silk. Mm-hmm. Uh, silk, spices, tea, all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff was coming yeah, out of China. Huge. Uh, Great Britain started trading with China in the 1600s. And a lot of stuff was traded from China, like what we just said. Silk, tea, spices, all kinds of stuff. Like, hey, uh, is, is, uh, this is going to sound dumb, but is East India China? East India, like we'll East get India there. But yeah, I think oh, okay. it's not China. It is literally India. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. We talked about that in a previous episode for some reason. Really? East India. Because yeah, I remember I asked if company? they were the, the... Pirates of the Caribbean. Exactly. Yeah. And they are. They're the bad people. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Um. So, so Great Britain was trading a lot of stuff with China. They're getting a lot of stuff. However, they had a problem where China didn't want any of Great Britain's stuff. Why? They didn't have anything good to offer? They didn't have anything good to offer. Mm, okay. And there's a problem in Great Britain 
where they were importing all this, uh, especially textile stuff, mm-hmm. you know, cotton, whatnot, and it was really messing with the local production in England. Mm. And so they gotta they gotta make something that they can sell back, exactly, sell, or export, exactly. And and then and England needed something to take to trade from China that wasn't going to interfere with their locally produced trade. So right. something that they could not produce locally that could be produced in China. Mm-hmm. And what was that? It was tea. Okay, yep. Mm-hmm. So tea really took off in England in uh, the 1600s. In 1664, they imported two pounds and two ounces of tea. Not very much. That's not much tea. In uh, 1683, 19 years later, they imported 5.8 million pounds. That's a lot more tea. <laughs> in 1785, 100 years later, they were importing around 15 to 20 million pounds of tea per year. So tea became a huge thing in England, and obviously still is. It mm-hmm. was like the drink of everybody basically exactly Mm -hmm. and at first it was known as the drink of like the aristocracy the the wealthy people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then the rich people wanted to emulate that so they started drinking tea next thing you know everyone's obsessed with this uh leaf juice and i think eventually we will actually talk about tea yeah have its own podcast Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah um and it was so popular that the english parliament passed a measure that said they always had to have a year's worth of tea in stock just in case the supply was messed with. Like per person? To... No, just a year's oh. worth for the country. <laughs> wow, that's a like, lot. Like they had to have like a warehouse full of tea that's just in case the Jesus. supply got interrupted with. Um, so this is where the East India Trading Company comes into okay. play. They had the monopoly of trade between China and England. Okay, okay. And so they were the ones in control of moving this tea. Um, and they're very interesting if this were a different podcast, we could talk about them because they almost operated like a little country. They had yeah. like an army. They fought battles, so all it's kinds like of capitalism stuff. Capitalism at its finest. Exactly. Like. It's it's pretty wild. And they hated pirates. No. Yeah. If you guys want to know more about this, go ahead and check out a little movie called yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean. There's this documentary called Pirates of <laughs> the Caribbean. Really well done. <laughs> yeah. The actors are great yeah, for yeah. a documentary. Um, and there, so their main dealings were in tea. By the late 1700s, one-tenth of the revenue of England was tea, and 100% of the East India Trading Company revenue was tea. Wow, so they only trade tea. It was basically just tea. Wow. And now this is where that trade deficit that I talked about earlier comes into play. Okay. Because they were taking all this tea from China, Mm -hmm. but they had nothing to give China in exchange for this tea. They were taking all this tea. But I thought they produced the tea. China's producing the tea. China's producing Chi- the tea. The tea's coming from oh. China. Moving to Great Britain. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. So Somehow. China's producing okay. the tea. All right. And since there's this trade deficit, and the Chinese just weren't interested in any of the goods of, of England, they right. didn't know what to trade. So there was something... Um, they don't want fancy powdered wigs. <laughs> exactly. So what they ended up doing was just buying the tea, which doesn't sound bad to us, but that means they're just giving their valuable silver, mm-hmm. which is what they were using, to the Chinese for their tea. Um, and a lot of this, di- a lot of people didn't like this because it meant the merchants then didn't have silver, which I guess kind of played a role into the economy. Where then when, it, when they came back to England, they didn't have anything, and it was depleting the currency of Great Britain because mm-hmm. they're giving so much money away. Mm-hmm. And this is called the Bullionist theories. Mm. I guess Can you spell that for me? B U L L I O N. 
Oh, bullion. Yeah, bullion, which I guess I always thought that was like a slang for treasure, but I think it just means like coins. Yeah, currency. especially like still to this day, uh, you go online. Yeah. And they'll like say like mint condition bullion for shit. Exactly. Which, or maybe you don't call it that, but maybe it's bullion. And this all came, started, what's the word? Wasn't, oh gosh, I'm to try thought. So Spain was providing all of the silver coins. Mm-hmm. I guess there were a lot of spa- a lot of silver mines in Spain, mm-hmm. and Spain entered the American Civil War in the late 1700s. Okay, which meant they could no longer provide the coins to England because America was against enemies. England. Exactly, and Spain mm-hmm. had their own problems, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so then England could no longer give the coins for the tea. Okay, and so what else were they supposed to trade? Ooh. For this tea. Maybe something highly addictive. Maybe. Hmm. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Opium. <laughs> so that is literally what they thought. They said, oh, gosh, what is? what do the Chinese people want? They don't want any of our woolen products. They don't want any of our textiles. They don't want anything we produce in England. We have no more money to give them. And our peop- like the English people were just as addicted to tea. They needed that tea. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they said, oh. We can give them opium. Now, why can't you make your own opium in China? China, I guess they technically could. We'll get into that. Uh But what had just happened is the East India Trading Company had just taken over a lot of India, Mm -hmm. where they made a lot of opium. So they just took Ah. over all these poppy fields. Okay. And it was kind of a happy coincidence, I guess. And so they started smuggling in opium. Because it's illegal in China. Exactly. They had to smuggle it because it was illegal. Okay. And uh, I have a little note here. I just kind of want to reiterate that the Chinese started smuggling, or the British started smuggling in this illegal, addictive product. That's pretty crazy. Just for tea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So this tea came from India and was traded to China. That was known as the country trade. And believe it or not, at first the Chinese government was okay with this. Mm -hmm. They kind of turned a blind eye because it gave their merchants money. Or it gave other merchants money to buy stuff that they then spent into the Chinese economy. And um, all this was happening around a city called Canton, China, which was a huge mm, trade port. Canton. And it's near Hong Kong. Uh, it's near Kowloon. It's a very... I don't know what it's called now. It's back to a Chinese name. It's like Guangzhou or something. Okay. I'm not, I'm oh, not okay. kidding. I think right. it is. Um, and soon enough, this opium trade spread out of Canton and throughout the rest of China. And very clearly, the negative social effects started to become clear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, they're, the Chinese people were becoming addicted to opium. Right. Because it's really addictive, right? Super addictive, yes, yes, yes. Uh, opium, basically, uh, is one step below heroin. I guess you go opium and then morphine and get extract from opium. Right. And then... Uh, and then you can put a acetyl group on there and you get heroin. Right. Um, and so in 1796, China straight up outright banned the trade of opium. Okay. Um, and in 1799, they ordered a stoppage of trade. Okay. However, the British got around this by creating floating warehouses off the coast. <laughs> That's where they would exactly <laughs> where their trade ships would come up they'd offload into these floating warehouses then these chinese little chinese boats would come up take them take them back to mainland china 
and sell the opium. I don't really get how that's a loophole. <laughs> yeah. still trading. And the reason they were able to do this is just because the Chinese Navy didn't have the boats to get out to the warehouses. Okay. They just right. had little dinky boats, okay. and they didn't have enough. I guess they, get, they couldn't get enough people there to shut the warehouses okay. down. Yet. Okay. So this is basically now the, the British government, not necessarily the government, but people under the British government's authority are smuggling mm-hmm. opium into a sovereign country. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this went on for 40 years, then smuggling opium. And I want to talk about a, a few, uh, famous drug smugglers. Mm. Um, people quickly realized this was a very profitable thing to do. Right. And so the Americans wanted in on it. Oh, okay. All right. And there's one wealthy American who is still famous to this day. There's towns named after him. His name is John Jacob Astor. Oh, does that ring a bell? Yes, it sure does. <laughs> yeah, you know that Astor. My mom teaches at John Jacob Astor really? Elementary. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, he's a wealthy American <laughs> merchant in the wow. early 1800s. We have a Astor Hotel. Yeah, oh, a whole so town called a... Astoria. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't even put that together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Holy fuck! That's what it's named. It's named after him. Wow. Yeah. Guys, I did not. Yeah, know that until just now. <laughs> really? Yeah, I'm 25. <laughs> oh, boy. And he got into the opium trade by buying lower-quality opium from Turkey, and he would then sell it mm. to other people, and they'd mix it with the higher-quality mm. Indian opium. A classic cut game. Exactly. Cut it. And he would then uh, use that money to buy Chinese goods, which he then brought back and sold to American consumers. Mm-hmm. And he made millions. He was one of the first American millionaires. Wow. And he got a lot of his money from this opium trade. A million was a lot back then. Yeah, no kidding. It was a, very much a lot. I'm still on the fact that my life has been growing up with an opium trader. <laughs> exactly. You didn't know it was John Jacob Astor no. in Astoria? Yeah. Oh, no, I know it was John Jacob Astor Elementary. Yeah. And it was like a big influence, but I never put together Astor and Astor, Astoria. Astoria. That two syllables is I, tricky. Yeah, I thought it was like Astoria. And I don't know. Yeah, well, there you go. Now you know. Wow. So... The Chinese, this is, uh, we're now zipping ahead to about the 1830s, so 30, 40 years. Okay. The Chinese were getting pissed. Now, they were mad because their people were becoming addicted to opium. Mm-hmm. And it was becoming a serious societal issue, like uh, manufacturing was going down, all kinds of stuff. People were becoming lazy. Right. And they had a very uh, traditional culture, and this was seen as like a dirty thing to be doing. Secondly, they were mad that these foreign countries were just blatantly ignoring their rules. Yeah. Because they're their own country. Like, imagine if that was happening here to the United yeah. States. Yeah, <laughs> we're just like, whatever. Yeah, just fuck your laws. We're yeah. going to yeah. import this opium because we want tea. So, the Chinese emperor appointed a guy named Lin Zishu mm, to deal with this. Lin Zi. We'll call Lin him, Zishu. We'll call him, we'll call him <laughs> Lin. Okay. Uh, and he said... This is in 1838. He said that if you're a drug trafficker and you get caught, you get put to death. Wow, that's a uh, pretty steep. It's pretty steep. Exactly. And then he wrote a letter to Queen Victoria, and he said to her, "How can you morally do this to my country?" Mm-hmm. He says, "I know that opium is illegal in your country because of the same reasons it should be illegal in ours, and yet you continue to deal opium." 
And now this pretty damn good point. Solid (laughs) argument. And now this letter got lost. Oh, quote unquote. Lost. So Queen Victoria quote never got it. So she saw who it was from, and it accidentally flew into the fireplace. Exactly. Whoops. Oh no, I didn't read it. Um, and basically it's because they wanted their tea. This all comes back to tea. That's a crazy thing because it. You think it'd be totally opposite. Yeah, you would. Yeah. Yeah. You think, but no. Yeah. Tea for opium, opium for tea. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't seem like. I don't know. It's a kind of a tangent, but it, it's very interesting to see how much, like, tea is is undoubtedly not addictive, right? But like, as a culture, it I guess is kind of, which is right. interesting. That a is cultural interesting. custom. And once you get so many people used to their tea, yeah, a I'm habit can yeah. be as powerful as an addiction. Yeah, yeah. Whoa. Whoa. Dang, dude. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. It's mind so this blows. guy Linji Shu wrote. He says that if the traffic in opium is not stopped in a few decades, we shall not only be without soldiers to resist the enemy, but in also want of silver to provide an army. Uh-huh. So he saw that if this opium addiction in his country continued, he'd have no more soldiers. Mm-hmm. They'd all be addicted to opium. Mm-hmm. And everyone was spending their silver on opium, so there'd be no money left. Mm-hmm. So I guess back then it's important to think of this trade as like the influx of currency with the outflux of goods right and making sure that's somewhat even especially yeah when you know we're not backed by gold anymore. exactly we, yeah we're but, not on the gold standard so, so it like matter. we can it's this tricky tricky yeah. thing now that i don't understand exactly but back then i think it was different. it was very like now we just print money whatever yeah. you know we're printing a million dollars a second a million dollars a second yeah right now oh my god i just made five million dollars <laughs> yeah yeah wow yeah, I can't. I just still don't get how like I just, the wealth inequality and Bernie just yeah is done now. I'm yeah, feeling the burn, guys, in yeah. a bad way. In a bad way. Yeah. All right. So this guy Linji Shu is very upset. Mm-hmm. He then goes and seizes thirteen uh, warehouses, these floating ones. He got together enough boats to go out there and seize these warehouses. Okay. Oh, I thought he said seize. Like S E E S. Like seize candy? Yeah. <laughs> like he sees these warehouses. <laughs> oh, like he sees them. <laughs> I see you. <laughs> yeah, he sees them. There you are. And he also. I don't know why he's. <laughs> <laughs> he also closed the main river, which is called the Pearl River, which flowed in and out of Canton, Kowloon, Hong Kong, just this big delta of a lot of big cities and trade. Can you not get to the Canton port without that? Exactly. Okay. No, you cannot. Okay. It's not a coastal town. It's exactly. Like, well, really and nice. so the British superintendent of trade in China, his name is Charles Elliot. He'll be important. Mm, okay. And he told the British traders, just chill. Let the Chinese authorities take your opium. He says the British government will compensate your losses later because he didn't want a conflict. Wow. Um, <laughs> That's because he, he didn't want to yeah, fight him. Yeah. Okay. For good reasons. And so after this. Jishu Lin made all foreign traders sign a bond promising not to deal opium under penalty of death. Wow. Pretty serious. Yeah. So fast forward a couple months. Things have been a little tumultuous. Obviously, these British traders have been kind of just hovering around Mm -hmm. Canton, not being able to go in, not being able to offload their supplies. Also, a month or two is enough for people to start going through withdrawal. That's that's true, yeah. Exactly. The prices of opium, I kind of glossed over that. The price of opium in mainland China was skyrocketing. I'm sure, yeah. 
then a group of British sailors in Kowloon, which is a city in this delta, attacked a villager and killed him. Mm. The Chinese wanted them to stay in trial in China mm-hmm. because they had killed a Chinese citizen on Chinese land. Makes sense. Makes sense to me. Makes sense to me, too. Charles Elliott said, no, because it's British sailors, we are going to try them instead. Mm. And so they made a trial on board. He was uh, the judge. Hmm. And a bunch of <laughs> he's traders. A judge too? He was he what? said I'm the judge. Wow, amazing. <laughs> and a bunch of traders were the uh jury. And they were only convicted of assault assault and rioting, and they were sentenced to fines and hard labor. Do you say rioting? Rioting. Oh rioting. Yeah. Assaulted him to death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and rioted him to death. Uh, okay. Hmm. And they were convicted of or they were sentenced to hard labor with fines. However, that was later overturned in a British court, so they never did anything. Wow, okay. And so this really made... Oh, things really haven't changed, have they? No. <laughs> and this really made Lynn mad, because he's it's a yeah. violation of sovereignty. And again, imagine if that happened to us. Yeah. So he was pissed. Yep. And Lynn then said he wanted to stop all food sales to British merchants. All food sales to British merchants. So there's all these okay. British ships in this area, and he said you can't give them food or water anymore. So, like... They basically can't eat when they're they're over there. Exactly. Okay. And there's nowhere nearby they can go. Mm-hmm. So, on September the 4th of 1838, Charles Elliott ordered two ships into Kowloon to purchase supplies from the Chinese peasants. Uh, the Chinese commander inside the Kowloon fort said he, had to, he, he shut the walls and he didn't let any of the locals go out to trade with the British. Charles Elliott then ordered an ultimatum. He said that if you don't let us buy stuff from your people by 3 o'clock, you will be fired upon. 3 o'clock came and went, and guess what? Were they fired upon? They were fired upon. Whoa. Um, 3 o'clock, how long what did he get? I think it was probably in the morning, so I bet it was like... Okay. He gave him like six hours, I'd imagine. Uh, the skirmish ended at night, and I think a couple of Chinese ships were sunk. But that's about it. And they were able to buy stuff from the locals and survive a little bit longer. Now I'm going to go to the next month, October of 1839. Quaker boats, like Quaker oats. Quaker boats. <laughs> Quaker oats carrying Quaker boats. Wait, Quaker boats carrying Quaker oats. Okay. Uh, they weren't actually carrying oats, I don't oh. think. But they arrived, and they were mad because China had shut down trade with any British people, but these Quakers like you know us we're quakers we're not religiously allowed to deal opium yeah they're and they were not dealing and they were no known to not deal opium so they tried to deal with the chinese and say hey let us trade our stuff because you know we're not going to be trading opium it's the classic uh the rules are made for those people that uh break them exactly well put and everybody charles Elliot was worried that this is going to weaken his position if he starts if the chinese start allowing just select traders. He wanted himself to be able to trade, and he wanted his opium. So he then ordered a blockage of the river mouth, saying he can't let the other British traders in. Then a British royal royal ship of these Quakers tried to go through the blockade and was fired upon by British royal ships. What? So a British trader tried to go through, (laughs) and they got fired on by British Royal Navy ships. Okay, all right. Then Chinese ships came out to try and protect this British trading ship, and they were fired upon. Oh. I feel like some of the dudes just <laughs> shoot what moves. Yeah, just, <laughs> shoot. Is that a boat? Yeah, shoot it. <laughs> so this resulted in the sinking of four Chinese ships, 
And Charles Elliott was worried this would lead to further retaliation, so he withdrew, even though he basically won. Then the British Navy, led by Charles Elliott, kind of just drifted around, looking for a port to... Full of opium? Port in. Full of opium. I'll let them dock them. (laughs) (laughs) No food, no water, uh, and no one would take them in. Wow, so, wow. On January 14th of 1840, the Chinese emperor said all foreign merchants must halt material assistance to the British. Okay. Charles Elliott sent some envoys back to mainland Britain, the Isle of Britain, and this is a long part, I'm just going to gloss over it. Basically, the British Parliament voted to go to war. With China. With China. Okay. Basically, so they said, and this is all because the Chinese won't let them trade opium. Mm-hmm. And all because the British want tea. All because the British want tea. Damn. You ever had tea? I have. <laughs> Makes you want to go to I've war. I've injected a lot of tea. <laughs> yeah, <it's crazy. laughs> So, Stuart, if this is a good time to take a break, mm-hmm. I want to share with you my second cider. Oh, let's take it. Oh, yeah, let's take a, take yeah. a break. Yeah. So, this is Two Towns' newest edition. I'm a big fan of Two Towns. Yeah, Two Towns, Corvallis, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Two Towns it's, Cider it, House. It's probably my favorite cider company. Yeah, they're um, very good. Very good. And they do these seasonals in the summer or spring, I guess, that... It, this one's called Blueberry Days, and it's blueberry and lavender, and it's amazing because you really get the blueberry, and you really get the lavender. Oh. <laughs> and I know that well, sounds What's a rare crazy. thing these days it's for them rare. to give what's advertised? I'm serious. Like, all other ciders, they say this and that, and you don't yeah. taste either Like one. what you said last week. It's like it sat next to it for a week. Exactly, but it's dev- it's not even made out of it. Hmm. Uh, or like the cider looked at the fruit that it's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The tiniest hints like LaCroix. So, I think you'll like this. I'm excited. It's velvety smooth. Ooh. It's got this blueberry front Aye. and base. Ooh. And then it finishes on what lavender tastes like. Oh, which wow. is a crazy taste. And they did a really good job. It tastes like I'm smelling lavender. Wow. Oh, wow. I know what you mean. Yeah. Wow. It does. Pretty good, Tastes right? like you're smelling lavender. Yeah, try again. Give wow. Another, give it another sip. It's so weird because I, I think they did a good job because you can you can totally say that's lavender. Definitely. Mm-hmm. But it's not overpowering. No. And the blueberry is kind of the backbone of the whole flavor. Yeah, the blueberry is a base. Mm-hmm. Really nice base for it. That's really nice. Isn't it? Uh, they made that one, the strawberry haze, yeah. last summer. Mm-hmm. And it was my favorite, maybe beverage I've ever had. Mm-hmm. It's it was this very good, unfiltered strawberry cider, and it just yeah. tasted like strawberries. Yeah, and I am pretty on Two Towns as far as like if they mm-hmm. release a new one, they have never done that one again, which is interesting. I wonder if they will come the strawberry season because I, I think it was with fresh strawberries. Okay, yeah. that was last year. I cool. wonder if they will this year. Yeah, I hope they're doing okay with all this. I think they are. It's overpriced, so. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> They're doing fine. Yeah. All right. We, so we got to go down. It's Corvallis or Salem? Uh, Corvallis. We should Corvallis. go there. Yeah. So I just, it, it's a good cider. It's real good. Two towns rarely will disappoint. Yeah. Yeah. And their like uh, seasonals are very good too. Just All, the bright yeah, cider is good. A classic cider. Yeah. And Schilling's another good one. We should have a Schilling on here. Schilling and, and um, Two Towns are. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, where were we? The British Parliament voted to go to war. Yes. 
In June of 1840, the first British warships arrived in China. Okay. They had 15 barracks, <coughs> barracks ships, which are ships carrying troops. Mm-hmm. They had four steam-powered gunboats mm. and 25 in small 1840? boats. In 1840? Yeah. Wow. They had steam-powered gunboats. That's fancy. Yeah. Uh, they demanded that the Chinese pay for the interruption of trade, so they calculated how much they lost in this mm-hmm, period of not trading, mm-hmm. and they demanded demanded <laughs> demanded that you pay for the lost things that is illegal in your country that yes. we're smuggling yes, in. Yes, <laughs> how they, dare you? They also demanded they pay for the opium that was confiscated. Wow, the Chinese <laughs> what bitches. <laughs> It's so shitty. They, believe it or not, refused. What? Yeah. So the British Navy first went to this place called Zushan Island, which was an island that protected the port of Dingai. And this is supposed to be the best defended Chinese island. Okay. Uh, the uh, British people demanded the island surrender. They refused. And um, so there's a little skirmish. Twelve Chinese ships were destroyed. And there was a naval bombardment, and the city was occupied two days later. By the British. By the British. Mm-hmm. So this, the British just owned with okay. their navy. Okay. The British Navy has been a powerful force mm-hmm. for a while, huh? Uh, they then used this port of Dingai as kind of a uh, base of operations to do stuff throughout the rest of China. They sent one fleet up to the Yellow Sea. They sent one fleet down to the Pearl River, which okay. is where this all started. Right. That's where, where Canton is. Okay. Um, the British then went to the city of Macau. And Why they, do I know that? Um, it's a pretty well-known city. Okay. Maybe I'm getting confused with cacao. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting Macau. a city confused with a... A chocolate? Chocolate? A, uh, cho- cocoa bean? Cacao? I don't know if Macau is like... There's a lot of Chinese cities that are not Chinese cities. Yeah, it's pretty weird because like all of the things you've said don't sound like what I think they should be. Because I think since Chinese then a lot of stuff has, has been renamed. Like, yeah. they, they, the Chinese didn't name it the Pearl River. It was I, named no, something no. else. Okay. What was uh, it? <laughs> I'm just kidding. The British then took out Macau. They sent in this one iron steamer. So it was a... <laughs> I have a couple iron steamers. You ever dropped, like, a hot steamer? No, what's that? Oh. It's from... Like a poop? Yeah, it's a poop. <laughs> Yeah, float a steamer? No. Down the river? No. Oh, okay. Well, this is a good joke. Yeah. <laughs> so they brent, they sent in these iron steamers, and that was a relatively new technology, and the Chinese just had no counter. They they couldn't do anything. It was like sending in Godzilla with a bunch of right. paper cranes. So it was a... <laughs> poetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was an iron, iron steamship. I, yes, I exactly. Imagine. Okay. Which is, like, weirdly modern for 1840. Yes, it's kind of my mind. And the pictures of it are weird, because they have the tall masts, mm-hmm. like a normal sail ship, and they're mm-hmm. also, like, a metal warship-looking thing. That's pretty thing. cool. It's very cool. It's the original steampunk. It's very steampunk, <laughs> yeah. Um, so now we're going to talk about the Pearl River Campaign, which is the river around Canton. Mm-hmm. They uh, had 10,000 Chinese soldiers protecting it. The British arrived. How do you the, protect a river? They on the bank. Or I something? think they had forts around the delta. So okay. the delta is kind of like a triangle. Okay. So as a river goes into a delta, and mm-hmm. then they have all the ports around exactly, that delta. Yeah. Okay. Uh, forts. And the British arrived on the seventh of January, and by the twenty-first of January, they had established superiority in the area. Wow. And. Uh, I didn't really want to get into the specifics of this, but basically they just had a bunch of naval maneuvers bombardments, tactical superiority, and they just owned these 10,000 Chinese uh, soldiers. Yeah, but the British were 
almost unstoppable yeah, back then. It was like right? the height of their power. Yeah. You could do anything they wanted. Pretty yeah. Much. It's crazy. Uh, the British then continued to fight their way up the river towards Canton. They won several key naval battles, didn't lose a single ship. Damn. Um, the Chinese then ordered 50,000 people to help defend the city of Canton. Um, on, the, excuse me, on May 21st, they conducted a night attack against the British Navy. Okay. However, it went very poorly. They ended up setting the riverbank on fire. What? <laughs> which, which made it no longer a night attack because the fire was so big you could see everything. <laughs> the water's on fire. <laughs> exactly. Because they'd send out these floating fire boats that would, like, a in this fire chain. Okay. It was called a fire boat. Okay. And it would hopefully catch your enemy's boat oh, on fire. Oh, right. But I think the tide came in and these fire boats came back. And then lit the riverbank on the, fire. The guy that called that is like, ooh, shit. <laughs> shit. Uh, four days later, the British counterattacked and were able to take the Canton Heights, which were these hills above Canton. And that meant that scared the rest of the Chinese army, and they went scattering off into the countryside. Okay. So the rest of this war is basically just the British winning battle after battle. Like, it's kind of sad. It doesn't really make sense to me. Like, if I wanted to trade with somebody, yeah, that if they didn't trade, I'd go fuck them up. Yeah, and then when I'm done, I go. Now you want to trade with? Me? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> that's a good point. Now do you want to do that? No, I don't. Yeah, but that's how it went. That's crazy. So yeah, the British basically just d- destroyed them. Yeah, and this resulted in the Treaty of Nanking, which was I've signed. Heard, well, yeah. Nanking is a famous city because I think I've heard of the Rape of Nanking. Oh, that's where I've heard that. Yeah, yep. which is later. This was signed August 29th, 1842. So about a three-year war this all wow. was. I know we glossed over it very quickly, but it was three years. It's pretty long. And the rules of this treaty, they said that the Chinese had to reopen trade in Canton to anything, including opium. Damn. Uh, the Chinese had to pay back the opium that was destroyed at the wow. very beginning gonna of this. You're going to rub it in your face. They said Hong Kong has to be given to the, the British and become a crown colony. Wow. And Hong Kong was a crown colony until 1997. 1997? Yeah. So that's, that's when Kong? this started. Hong Kong. Oh, and then that must be why Hong Kong is independent. It never got fully yeah, it's back a, to China. It's in weird limbo now. Yeah. I don't quite understand if it's Chinese. But I've always it's... heard it's like an independent yeah. state in China yeah. or something. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. It must have it got right off the British and... That's not been that long. It makes sense no. that it would be weird in a limbo. Yeah, exactly. It's not long ago at all. 23 years ago. Wow, that's strange. Very strange. That's weird. Okay. Um, and this treaty kind of started what was called the Chinese Century of Humiliation. Uh-huh. Which is a sad century. That sounds like a bad... A whole century <laughs> A of whole it? hundred years oh of my humiliation. Gosh. Oh my gosh. This is basically just a hundred years where bad stuff kept happening. There was mm. the Second Opium War. Which we won't get into today, (laughs) yes. Wow. Uh, There was the Boxer Rebellion. Mm -hmm. There was another rebellion in 1860. There was the Japanese invasion of China, Mm -hmm. which you don't think of being 100 years of the 1830s, but the 1930s was. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Isn't that weird? So basically a lot of bad stuff going on in China. Right. So like World War One. Is right before World War One is the Japanese attack? Is that World War Two? World War Two, right before World War Two. Yeah, the Japanese attacked China. The Rape of Nanking was in like eighteen thirty-eight. Oh, okay, a wow. hundred years after all this. Wow. Um. So basically, nineteen thirty-eight. Nineteen thirty. Okay. 
So then the basically the trade of opium continued and the flow of tea continued back mm-hmm. to England. Mm-hmm. However, this peace would not last as there was famously another opium war. The third opium second, war? Second oh, opium. oh, oh, okay. <laughs> and I wrote that's a podcast for another day because oh. it's also very complex. Is it was it? basically the same thing. They just... The British came in and smashed because the Chinese <laughs> didn't want their people addicted to Didn't you them. learn last time? <laughs> yeah. And uh, so my conclusion, this is the end of it, I want to take away that this was a whole war fought. There were 3,100 Chinese casualties, Mm -hmm. 4,000 wounded, and there was 69 British casualties. Mm. So pretty lopsided. And all of this was just so that England could continue their trade. Mm -hmm. And that's not an uncommon thing. That's kind of been going on a lot, Um, especially a trade of opium. Mm -hmm. And you have to think what... What would have happened if they hadn't chosen to? That would opium be as big as it is today? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's also interesting to think, like, I don't know. War, sometimes you think of war and go, like, I don't know. World War Two, World War One seemed like just wars. Like, mm-hmm. stopping an evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you look at this, and it's, like, very clear the British were in the wrong. Yeah. Know? And then it, it kind of brings up this weird thing where, like, what makes war just? Yeah, right. And that is, I mean, a crazy philosophical yeah. topic. Yeah. But it's interesting that I am easily go, oh, this is not okay. Clearly, but not. then in World War Two, I go, yeah, we needed to, we needed, I supported that. Yeah, or at least I was taught to support that. Yeah, you know, I wasn't there. So, and that's interesting because the part I kind of glossed over of the debate in on mainland England if they should go to war or not. There was a whole camp that said basically just what you said this is not just mm-hmm. this is incredibly wrong there's one guy that eventually became the prime minister and his own daughter was addicted to, to heroin morphine oh wow yeah and he realized how bad it was for her and he was appalled that we're doing this to a whole country a whole country just so that we can get balance a trade deficit mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. what a crazy thing to for people to die for mm-hmm. and I, I on another topic or like just going off this i think it's amazing to think about, you know, I, I think a lot of people think of war as, as something that's like inevitable and happened and what it's war. It's a disagreement of ideologies, I guess. Yeah. But we've talked about this multiple times now. This was because of a drug. Yeah, right. There's two drugs, tea and opium. Yeah. And uh, World War Two was because, well, not because, but like drugs were yeah, heavily right. involved in the Germans. Right. Um, and it's interesting to see how, like, I don't know. I mean, that's what the podcast is about. Yeah. Right? Drugs yeah. innervating history. Yeah. There's this excellent, can we plug another podcast? Sure. It doesn't need any plugging. <laughs> Hardcore History. One of oh, the most yeah. popular podcasts one of most there po- is. <laughs> one of his earlier ones was basically about how alcohol has shaped the course of history mm-hmm. and it's talking about how like alexander the great was a raging alcoholic mm-hmm. might have died from it and how the mongols were alcoholics and how this literally changed the course of history mm-hmm. which i think is fascinating yeah how a drug it, can change wh- where we are now yeah it's just amazing that you know something amazing about these drugs are that it's psychoactive they change your psyche mm-hmm. change how you think which mm-hmm. is interesting yeah bring you to war yeah wow i would be mad if i was a, a british soldier told to sail all the way to china and go to war yeah for some tea i hope they got a lot of tea yeah i it's it's 
it's interesting. And then, you know, I don't want to get too political here, but mm-hmm. I mean, that's happened to this day. I've with, heard right now oil, we have, right? and I've heard right now we literally have uh, U.S. troops guarding poppy fields in Afghanistan. Right. And that poppy's used by American pharmacies to mm-hmm. create It's cheaper opiates. to extract opiate uh, than make it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is pretty crazy. So our, our tax money is going to basically yeah. the same thing as what we just talked about. It's yeah. crazy. It's it's funny. And, you know, every time we talk about history, it'll come back to this. But the idea that, like, history repeat, repeats itself. Mm-hmm. And, and to a greater extent, it, it's always the same, really. Yeah. The same tropes and the same yeah. concepts just played over and over again. People think they're different. Especially, like... Like a powerful country like Britain just imposing their will on a weakish country like China. Mm-hmm. It's not much different than what the United States did in Iraq and Afghanistan. Yep. We've been doing that for years and now. Britain did it for years and years too, you know. It's crazy. And it's sad. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. So yeah, that was the Opium Wars. And again, there cool. was a whole second Opium War, which I just didn't want to get into. Well, I think... Um, if you guys are into it, we'll probably go into opium then. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maybe I'll talk about it then. Yeah, and we can talk about kind of what opium is and kind of the broader... We'll probably do a broader history episode where it's kind of joint mm-hmm. us, where we go from basically this, you know, gloss over it and go all the way to now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'd we'll, like a chemistry corner on opium to oh, know yeah. more oh, what yeah. it does we'll in the brain. You know? Yeah, let me let me know if you guys like the chemistry corner on Twitter. I like the chemistry corner. <laughs> I like it too, but... Um, okay, cool. That's it. And then I want to go over my references real quick. Oh, sure. People have been complaining. So Who? <laughs> <laughs> Just Sophie. Oh, okay. <laughs> you should post these on Twitter. Too. I will post them, yeah. but I want to read them. Yes, yeah. Uh, the Opium Regimes, this is the name of the book. Opium Regimes, China, Brit- Britain, and Japan, mm-hmm. 1839 to 1852. This is mm-hmm. by Timothy Brook and Bob Tadashi Wakabayashi. His uh, first name is Bob. Yeah. <laughs> Bob Takadashi Wukabadashi. Uh, the British Trade and the Opening of China, 1800 to 1842 by Michael Greenberg. America's First Millionaire Got Rich Smuggling Opium by Aaron Blakemore. Mm-hmm. And then a whole lot of Wikipedia. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I always start with Wikipedia. Yeah, usually. me too. Um, yeah, so check us out at uh, Trippin Time Pod, T R I P P I N Time Pod, and that is also our Instagram now. Well, there's nothing on there, I don't think yet. There's one post. And oh. it's just our logo. Oh, cool. Uh, so, is that the name of? Yes, our name. Yep. 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 Yes, you changed it. So we're on Instagram and Twitter. Yep. Uh, at Trippin Time Pod. Yep. Yep. Um, so check us out. There's nothing there really, but no, but they can start be. following, especially if we get like people that actually like are following. Like if I see 10 people there, I'll be like, Oh, I guess I should do something. Yeah. That'd be cool. <laughs> then we'll post. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah. hope everyone's healthy, happy, safe. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, and, uh, hope you enjoyed Exploring Stuart's history <laughs> hole. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Catch you next week. See you later.